Our Lord Jesus, he opens his mouth to speak and to pronounce blessing. This passage we are considering is called the Beatitudes, the blessings. It is the introduction to his great sermon. And before we come to consider verse 3 in particular, that's our text for this evening, let me just say this, and what a blessing it is for the Lord Jesus to open his mouth. It is a blessing in and of itself that our Lord Jesus opens his mouth to speak. Blessed are those who could say that hear his voice, that heed to his call. Even in our own day, our Lord Jesus opens his mouth to speak. Even in our own day, he opens his mouth and we hear his voice. He does that even today, even in this place. Every sermon of, this, of his word, it's the Lord Jesus opening his mouth and speaking. Because preaching is not the word of men. Preaching that is worthy of the name preaching is not the word of men. It is the word of God being expounded. It is the word of Christ being given. And through sermons, our Lord Jesus still speaks to us. And what a shame it is that some of us, we stand under the ministry of his word. We are so close to hearing his voice, and yet we make, we make our ears to be deaf. We prefer to think about what is, ha- what is the football result. We pre- prefer to look at our phones uh, while the, the word of God is being ministered. We prefer to think about how this sermon Although we are listening, we are applying it not to ourselves, we are applying it to our, our, the person sitting next to us or across from us in the pew. We're not really hearing, are we? We're not really listening to him speak. We're not he- really heeding and hearkening to the voice of the great shepherd. So today the Lord Jesus opens his mouth and my pleading with you would be that you would listen, that you would hear with focused attention to what what he has to say to us today, that we would allow him to speak to our hearts. So he opens his mouth in this sermon. Let me just say a few things before we come to to consider verse 3, because often is the case in, in any passage of Scripture, but I think particularly so in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we start focusing our attention on the trees and we lose track of the, of the forest that is before us. We so often want to focus our attention in some of these uh, sayings, proverbial sayings of our Lord Jesus, that we lose track of what the Sermon on the Mount is and what it is not. So what is the Sermon on the Mount? Someone called it, just by way of introduction, much more could be said, but someone called it the constitutional document of the kingdom of God. It is, yes, ethical. It is, yes, uh, uh, instructive for us. But it's not meant for us to look at the Sermon on the the Mount as a, a series of prerequisites in order for us to gain entrance into the kingdom of God. 
the Sermon on the Mount, is the character of those who are citizens of the kingdom. Is the, the virtues of those who are a part of the family already. It's not the ticket to get, to get in. It is the, the characteristics of those who are in. And in that line, the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular the Beatitudes, are not some kind of pie-in-the-sky spirituality just meant for extraordinary Christians. Oh, all these things are, mighty, are very well and good, but it, that's for those extraordinary Christians, those that are really, really spiritual. No, this is for all of us. This is not just for uh, those that hold church office or those that have uh, progressed in, in their sanctification to such a degree that they, they are represented by this. No, it's for all of us. That's, that's the bare minimum. That's the characteristics of any citizen of the kingdom of heaven. On that line, this is not an evangelistic passage, although it speaks about the gospel. It is not a passage that you naturally would come to as a passage to evangelize. But nonetheless, it speaks about the attitude of those who are a part of the kingdom. And therefore, it's very evangelistic. And that's why we're looking at it this evening. This is not a passage that we can pick and choose whatever we want for ourselves. When you look at the Beatitudes and we read them, the, all of them, it's not that, well, you can have a little bit of this, but not so much of that. Very much like the fruits of the Spirit. It's a, a take it or leave it. You cannot just be poor in spirit and not really be poor, uh, pure in heart. It is all. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. When Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, he's not saying, oh, you, might, you can have a little bit of love, a little bit of self-control, but... No, it's all of it. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what it, what it comes to. With, uh, with the gifts that God gives to the church, one, one could say that, yes, God gives some gifts to one and gives other gifts to other. But this is for all. So this is by way of introduction. The Sermon on the Mount begins with the, what is called a section called the Beatitudes. Blessed. Jesus begins by stating the first word that comes out of his mouth are blessed makarioi in Greek makarioi and I do believe that Jesus spoke these words uh, in Greek that's a different discussion for a different venue but there is evidence that perhaps these words were actually in the sermon were actually Jesus preaching in Greek that's for a different time, but makarioi, blessed, what does it mean? Some would say that it means to be happy. And yes, the word makarioi carries the, the sense of being happy, but it's so much more than that, isn't it? Some Bible translations, they, they translate this passage, happy are those that they are poor in spirit, and you go, yeah, but it doesn't go far enough. Bless, happy in our, in our culture is, is a few steps of the ladder below what blessed, or what the meaning of the word blessed is. To be blessed is to be is someone who is experiencing a, a fortunate, positive circumstances. 
And how blessed is this? And I find this wonderful to, to see. If you would turn a few pages of your Bibles to, to the ending of the book of Malachi, how does the, Old Testament, how, how does the Old Testament finish? What is the last word of the Old Testament? Curse. It is curse. Verse, uh, chapter 4 of Malachi, verse 6. And he shall turn the heart of... Let's read from verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. And what are the first words that come out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus in this sermon at the beginning of the gospel age? Blessedness. Beatitudes. The text of the Beatitudes opens up for us the blessedness of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. They're not just some internal experience of believers, although it is true that we experience these things, but it's more than just being comfortable or satisfied or receiving mercy. God's blessing it does make us feel better. Trust me on this. But it's so much more than that. It's the condition. It's the state that we are in. It's more than just emotional, personal uh, uh, makeup of our frame of mind. It is, it is the, the condition that we are in. That in spite of the circumstances that we find ourselves, we are actually fortunate. We are actually blessed. It is the condition of blessing, of joyfulness, of happiness. True happiness. True blessedness. And this is what Jesus is announcing to those that gather around him. The fulfillment of those promises of Isaiah, of true blessing, of in Israel. Just by way of context before we come to consider verse 3. Israel, who is longing for the coming of the King, the Messiah. And you, you need to remind we need to remind ourselves that Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience, so these things are, are there for us to see. Israel is finally going to be visited by the Messiah, by the Anointed One, by Christ. And their sorrow, their tears will be turned into laughter. All of Israel's cursing is to now be turned into blessing. And that's what Jesus is promising here, that those who will come to him, those who will heed his call, those who will hear his voice, will experience this blessedness. What is blessedness? Well, blessedness is a garden of Eden. When did blessedness, where, where was the, the blessedness? to start of humanity, if not in the Garden of Eden. There where God created man and woman, Adam and Eve, our forefathers, real people, by the way, real individuals, not some kind of myth. There, Adam experienced true blessedness. What was the blessedness? He walked with God. There was no sin. There was no, no misery. There he was given the ability to fulfill that for which he was called and created. 
to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue and to rule it. There, Adam experienced true blessedness. But there as well was where blessedness was lost. He was a blessed man. And Eve was a blessed woman. But there was where it was lost because of sin. So in order to experience blessedness, sin must be dealt with. And it is very fitting that our Lord Jesus begins the Beatitudes by mentioning Matthew 5.3, that blessed are the poor in spirit. Just like the first rung of a ladder, this is where it starts. This is the experience of every citizen of the kingdom, every subject of the king of kings. This is the experience of every Christian believer. It is the emptiness. I know it sounds uh, paradoxical almost, but in order to be filled, you need to be emptied first. In order to, to, for new wine to be poured in, you need to be emptied of the old wine. In order to be exalted, you first need to be humble. That's how the kingdom of God is. And the first uh, element that I would want to mark from this beati- uh, beat- uh, blessedness, this beatitude uh, in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is that true blessedness is a paradox in the eyes of the world. Which also marks, by the way, <laughs> by way of, <laughs> of another thing to mark, is that in, in order to experience these things, there needs to be a new birth. Because these things, being, uh, finding it a blessing, being poor in spirit, finding it a blessing, being mournful, finding it a blessing, being meek, the, these things aren't, don't come natural to us, do they? When, when was the last time you heard someone on the BBC in this world, in all the things that this, this culture puts out, saying that it, there is blessedness in these things. It is not natural for men to see blessedness in meekness and in, in poorness of spirit, in, 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 in being pure in heart. And it's not blessedness in these things. It, it, it doesn't come natural to us, which does inform us that in order to experience these things, you need to be born again. You cannot have a natural tendency, a fleshly tendency to see these things. The carnal mind doesn't look at these things in this way. This world doesn't exalt emptiness uh, of, uh, of self. This world does not exalt uh, those things that God exalts. This world admires self-sufficiency, self-reliance, self, self-exaltation. That's the, the traits and the characteristics of people in this world that are put up as great examples for all of us to follow. The values of the kingdom of God are in contrast with the values of this world. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Not the, the self-sufficient. Not those who are... Uh, arrogant, not those who are haughty. Our Lord Jesus says, blessed is the poor in spirit. And here Jesus is not referring to self, uh, to, to material, uh, ter- in material terms, to, poor, uh, to being poor. 
he's speaking about poverty in spiritual terms. Poor in spirit, being spiritually beggars. And it is true, all of us, whether you realize it, recognize it, you go outside, everyone you meet on the street, there is not one person that you will come across who is not poor in spirit, who is spiritually bankrupt. Here the Lord Jesus is speaking about those who recognize their own spiritual poorness. There in paradise, we have, or in the, in the Garden of Eden, we have true blessedness. But because of the fall, in all of mankind that came after Adam and Eve, we're spiritually bankrupt. We're not just in some kind of debt. We're in a, in a, in a, in a situation of total bankruptcy, to use the world's terms. There is nothing in us, spiritually speaking, that would amount to any kind of riches. The word used here by the Lord Jesus, I was uh, planning on saying this later on, but there are two words in the Greek that speak about, or that can be translated as poor. And the word that the Lord Jesus uses here, it's the word patalkos, which is the, the worst kind of poor, the, the most destitute kind of poor. You'd have poor people, which would in, in our culture would be kind of like working class people. They, it's like they are still self-sufficient. They can work and make a living. They don't have uh, enough to spare or to waste, but they, they can still make ends meet. But that's not the word that the Lord Jesus uses. The word that Lord Jesus uses, patokos, is the word for the beggar. It's the word that Jesus uses in Luke 16 when he's referring to Lazarus. It's that word for someone who is absolutely destitute, who has nothing of himself uh, besides relying on the, on the charity, on the grace, and, uh, on, the, on the goodness of others. And that's why the blessed are the poor, the poor in spirit are blessed. But you first need to come and realize that. Do you realize how poor you are in spirit? By nature, you're blind to it. By nature, we are all blind to this. We all think ourselves to have some measure of goodness in us. Some, something that we cling to that, that tells um, us that we tell ourselves and we soothe ourselves to, into thinking, I deserve better. I'm better than this. We, we all behave like the, that church in Revelation uh, that says, oh, I am rich, I, am wealth, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing. And the Lord Jesus says to that church, you're a wretched, poor, naked, miserable, blind. That's what, what we are. So that's what the Lord Jesus means by poor in spirit. It's about people who have been aware, made aware of their spiritual poverty, who know that they are spiritually poor. And may ask, how do I come to know this? How do I come to re recognize this? Well, by His Word, through His Spirit. No amount of words coming out of my mouth will convince you of this unless you hear it from the voice or from the mouth of our Lord Jesus through His Spirit. 
that blessed are the poor in spirit. You come to realize this when you, you look around at your life and you're sitting in a pew like this and you look around at your life and you realize the emptiness of it, that there is nothing in this world that satisfies your soul, really. That feeling that comes into your heart of knowing that actually there is no soundness in you. There is nothing blessed about your life. How relative and how subjective everything is in this life. Even the things that the world exalts as and perceives as good, and you realize they're empty and void of any satisfaction. Have you ever come to experience this? Looking into the things that this world admires and, and, and coming to a realization that actually, no. They will not fill me. Have you ever come to that realization that the hymn writer speaks of, of having nothing, but then coming with, to God with nothing? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless come to thee for grace. Foul, dirty, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That is poorness of spirit. Is that top lady, right? Augustus top lady? I think I'm getting the author right. He knew something about what it meant to be blessed because he was poor of spirit. I have nothing. So you see, true blessedness is not in external things, but in internal realities. I believe it was Thomas Watson that said, blessedness does not lie in externals. Jesus did not say, blessed are the rich. Riches do not satisfy. There is something more. This scripture gives us some illustrations of this poorness of spirit. And I'll say a little bit more because I need to make a caveat here for believers or for those who who profess faith. But let me just say this. Scripture gives us wonderful illustrations of what it means to be poor of spirit. It's, it's the Peter, when Jesus comes to him uh, as he's fishing, and he says, depart from me, for, my, for I am a sinner. Peter understood what it meant to be a poor, poor uh, uh, someone who's poor of spirit. It's the, the prodigal son in Jesus' uh, parable of the prodigal. When he's coming to the father as a beggar, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I've squandered off all that I had and I've made myself to be a beggar and I'm coming to you begging. That's why, they, he is, uh, that's why he receives mercy and grace. And that's why blessed are the poor in spirit because they realize they are beggars. True blessedness is realizing our total need for the grace of God and coming to him. Jesus did not say, blessed will be the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And that's something. Sometimes we think about these things and we think, oh, well, it's not really blessed now. It's it's going to be blessed once we get to glory. These things will be made better. 
But Jesus says, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs, it's not will be the kingdom of heaven, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's now, it's a present reality to all of those who know their spiritual need. It's the Apostle Paul. If anyone in the history of, of, of the world had reason to boast in himself, that's what he says. And, and, and if there was anyone, that would be him. A Jew of the Jews, a Pharisee, according to zeal, persecuting the church. And he's, he's listing off all of his attainments. If he's speaking, he kind of speaks like an accountant. He's saying, look at all my credit. Look at all that I have going for me. I have all of this. According to the law, blameless, he says. He, come to, he came to realize something, didn't he? He came to realize that all of that that he thought was in the credit category, all of those things that he thought, these things are going for me, these things are, are building me up, and I'm accumulating treasures, and I'm, I'm, I'm going up the ladder. He actually realized that he was going further and further down, and all of it was actually dung. That's how the, 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 the AV translated, isn't it? Dung. It was, it was rubbish. I prefer the, 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 the image of... It was, it was worthless. More than worthless. It was actually what was putting me further into debt, Paul would say. I thought I was paying off my debt. I was actually getting more and more indebted, if that is even possible. But let me caveat this. When I say it's, uh, uh, when, not me, when the scripture says that blessed are the poor in spirit, it is not saying that blessed are those who are spiritually deficient. Does that, does that make sense? It's not saying that blessed are those who are poor in spirit, in the sense are careless in regards to spiritual things. It's not saying blessed are the ones who are poor in holiness, in faith. That is a great tragedy if you are any of those. It's saying blessed are those who see themselves for what they really are. Blessed are those who know that they need a savior. Blessed are those who know that they have no soundness in them. Blessed are those who have come to see God face to face and have a correct understanding of who they are and who God is. I think it was John Calvin that said that all theology begins by a correct understanding of who God is and who we are. It's, it's that. That's, that's the basis of our understanding of, who, uh, uh, of spiritual things beginning to realize how high and lifted and holy and righteous and just God is and how vile sinners we are. How we are indeed spiritually bankrupt before God the Father. But there we are blessed when we realize that because Jesus says theirs is the kingdom of heaven that the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are poor in spirit. That yes, the gate is narrow and the way is hard, 
Blessed are those who are humble enough to realize that they need the grace of the Savior. And I'll quote Spurgeon again. Spurgeon said, those who possess no importance in their own eyes, that's who the blessed, the, the poor in spirit are. Those who, who possess no importance in their own eyes those in all, are those that in all of the universe who possess royal blood. The way up in the kingdom of heaven is down in ourselves. So Jesus says, those who are poor in spirit are those who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. That you cannot be a self-sufficient citizen of the kingdom. But that those who come to understand their need are those who will receive. So my question to you, have you come to realize your poorness of spirit? Have you come to realize how desperately in need you are for the Savior? The Lord Jesus brought you here this evening for a reason, and he wanted you to hear these words. And I would even go as far as to say that there is a proof of his love, not his electing love, but his love for your soul that he's given you the chance to hear his words saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Have you heard his voice? Have you come to realize how barren your spiritual life is? How unworthy you are? How much in need of grace you are? Have you come to this understanding? There is no other way in this life. Some people like to think about many ways to get to heaven, many ways to reach the, the, to reach the favor of God, many ways to please God. God is, uh, uh, nowadays it's, uh, it, it's normal in our society. It's, it's what our society, it's like there are many ways to, to, to get to God. No, there are only two ways. Well, there is only one way to get to God, but there are only two ways of living. You either recognize your need for Him and you come pleading for His mercy and grace or you live a self-sufficient life trusting your own works, trusting your own merits, trusting your own self, thinking that you have enough, just barely, but you, you have enough to pick up yourself by the, by the bootstraps, as the, the Americans say, and, and, and make your way up into heaven. You can't climb up that mountain all by yourself. There's no third way. You're either in the long road that leads to hell or you're in the narrow road that leads to heaven. So my question is, which road are you really in? Not your neighbor. Pay attention now. Not, don't think about it. Don't allow your mind to go anywhere else. Which road are you on? Is it the road? The way of our Lord Jesus Christ to the kingdom of heaven? Where are you? Because the way to grace, uh, the way to, to heaven is relying upon His grace. That is all. Trusting Him. Trusting Him alone. Trusting Christ alone. To, get, to, to have done what is needed, needful. 
relying upon Him, realizing how poor and destitute we are, repenting of our sin and trusting in Him and walking in His way. Are you poor in spirit? Or do you still have a little bit? You might say, oh, I've, I've come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Have you really? I've noticed this so often in talking with people. It, uh, 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 carrying on the analogy of, of, of riches, of financial riches. There are some who would say, oh, yes, I'm poor in spirit. But they still have a little bit down uh, under the mattress. There's still a sense of deserve, uh, of entitlement. They still have some savings somewhere under the mattress in their own estimation. There's still something hidden in the drawer right there in the back just for the rainy day. God will not have it. There is no bank account left there on the side. You need to be completely and wholly trusting in Him for salvation. Throw that away. If that is you, if you still have that, let it go. For Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The way up is, the, is down. Blessed are those. And I find this so often the case with, with older believers. The, 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 the higher in grace they grow, the lower in their own estimation they grow. Have you ever found this with older believers? It's, it's why sometimes it's such a joy being around older believers. Because they, they know just how desperately in need they are. If you're an older believer, let this be a, an exhortation for you. They know how, they, that when we are young in the faith, we think, okay, I, I, I need grace for, for spiritual things. But the older you get, you realize that you couldn't even do those things that you thought came natural. You, you cannot even tie your shoelaces in the morning if it's not for the grace of God. And that, let us be a, an encouragement for you. That is all a gift. That nothing we have that we haven't received so where do you belong? Let me just say this, and I'll close by saying this. The Lord Jesus is still near today. He's still blessing those who are poor in spirit. He is still filling with the riches, uh, unsearchable, unfathomable riches of heaven, those who come to him as beggars. You can still be converted this day. I can promise you this as a minister of God's word. Not as a minister, as a Christian, I can promise you this. If you come to him this evening, he will in no way cast you out. If you approach him as a, someone who is in need, as a beggar, he will fill you with the riches of, of the blessings of the kingdom of heaven. He will not turn you away. Never once anyone came to the feet of the Savior who was turned away, who was rejected. Fall at his feet today. Bow down before his presence. Plead your unworthiness and your poorness before him. Beg for it. Plead for it. 
and he will give you. I promise you that. Come unto me, he said, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? Are you heavy laden? Come to him. It's not a heart. Have you come to know your burden, your poorness? Take your yoke upon it. Take his yoke upon you. Learn from him. He's gentle. He's lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen. Let's sing our final hymn. 450, O oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free, a heart that's sprinkled with the blood so freely shed for me.